0: I'm going to open up to First Corinthians chapter ten. Well, um, I sold books door to door for two summers when I was in college, and the first summer I did it because I really wanted to meet people and share the gospel, tell them about Jesus, and so I did. I, I met a lot of weird people um, in Southern Georgia and actually Oklahoma as well. Um, but I also met really great people um, there as well. And I got to pray for people and share the gospel with some. And it was a great experience overall. But with it also came some money. And I think I saved up something like $2,500 or something. I can't remember exactly. Um, uh, in in two months, which at the time, as a college student, was a big, big deal. And so um, I did it again the second summer. But the second summer, I did it really more for the money. Because the, uh, I mean, it was, I, I saved up something like 2,500, but there were people in the company who did much, much better. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if I, if I could make a lot of money in that couple of summers. I mean, in a couple of months. Um, and I can't tell you exactly how it happened, but I started at one point in the second summer telling people stories about the books that I wasn't really sure about. I had heard of these things, but I wasn't really sure if they were true or not. But I started telling people as if they were really true. I started to exaggerate the facts about the book, books. And I really worked long hours, something like 13 and a half hours each day and I penny pinched every cent. I tried to save every cent that I had, and some of it I think was good because it was teaching me, you know, delayed self gratification and work ethics and 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 and, and, and um, self discipline. And the company I was working for um, was encouraging all these things. But at one point of the second summer, I realized something. I realized I looked at me uh, myself and I thought. Wow, I'd become really greedy. Love of money gradually crept up um, over my life, and money had become the thing that I wanted out of that summer. It had become my idol. And the thing was, I was uh, attending, at the time, Wheaton College, um, which is a Christian school, and I was majoring in Bible theology. And I went to Wheaton really specifically because I knew that I wanted to become a pastor. I considered myself a strong Christian and a firm Christian. I thought I could flirt with the pressures of the world, with materialism, with workaholism, and come out unscathed. And I should have listened to Paul's words that we read from last week in 10.12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Yes, when we are tempted, God will allow us to stand under it, but what is wise is clear. And what is wise, really, is how he starts our passage today in verse 14. Therefore, my dear, dear brothers, dear friends, flee from idolatry. He doesn't want us to flirt with temptations. We are to stand under it if temp- we are already under temptation in that situation. But if there is a way away from it, flee from it. Run towards it with all your might. Flee from idolatry. And once again, I want you to be reminded of the context here. Paul is talking about eating food that has been sacrificed to idols. And remember what he said in chapter 8, how the food sacrificed to idols um, is not really anything. Because idols are not anything. There are no idols as such. When people bow down to a statue, the statue is just a statue made out of wood or stone. They're bowing down to no one. So in chapter 8 and 8, he says, "Food does not bring us closer to God. We're not we're no worse if we do not eat, no better if we do." But here in chapter 10, he seems to say the opposite. He reminds us that we participate in the body of Christ. When we take in communion, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, we participate in his body. And he now reminds us that as participants of that body, we cannot drink. I cannot eat the food that has been sacrificed to, to, to idols. We're one with Christ. In verses 14 through 17, he says. Um, and look uh, to verse 20. He says it in no uncertain terms. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Such would be idolatry. And you see, idols are nothing, but idolatry, he reminds us, is a demonic activity. In a commentator's word, it's evil because it robs um, the, the true God of the glory due to him. And because such actions bring people, not simply into contact with lower spiritual powers, but actually bring into uh, bring them into subjection to him. Behind this um, idol that is nothing stands demonic activity. Um, and idolatry arouses God's jealousy. And God is a jealous God, he reminds us in verse 22. So as Paul will clarify in the next paragraph, he doesn't mean that we can't eat any food that has been sacrificed to idols. Writing to Romans, uh, Romans 14 is a very interesting chapter because it really parallels our chapters in uh, Corinthians chapter 8 through 11. But he says one man's uh, one man's faith allows him to eat and eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. And that wasn't about vegetarianism. He's talking about Food that has been sacrificed to idols, and he says there, one whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. So he's not saying that we should not we should refrain from eating meat altogether. Um, not eating meat is related to he associated with weaker form of faith, because this person doesn't know the freedom that we have in Christ. And in verse 25 of our chapter, he goes on to say that we can eat anything sold in the market. Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And everything is the Lord's. And even if um, the meat that's sold on the market is most is, is likely to have been sacrificed in the temple to Aphrodite that, 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 that stood in the uh, uh, the acropolis of the city, you can still eat it without raising questions of conscience. And um, simply, similarly, in verse 27, he says, "If some un- unbeliever invites you to the house and and, and cooks for you uh, roast lamb, um, even if that's likely to have been sacrificed in the temple, you can eat there. You can eat it without raising any questions of your conscience." It's a bit confusing, but I think what Paul is warning us is really against flippancy, against carelessness, careless attitude that brings us into association with idol worship. I think what he's saying is, the food, eating food that has been sacrificed to idols is okay, but no one should be associated with idolatry or pagan worship. No one should let their guards down. And relax when it comes to any association with idolatry. Even if one knows that one is free in Christ. We can eat all the food. We have that freedom. But we should always be wary of being associated with idolatry. And remember what Paul said in chapter 8. If there is anyone who ever thinks that eating food is participating in idolatry, he says, well, don't eat that food. Don't eat it. Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 13. Therefore, if I eat, uh, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. And here again in our chapter, if somebody then raises an issue, says, somebody, uh, when you went to the dinner party, and somebody says, actually, has that food been sacrificed to idols? He says, don't eat it, because it might then, uh, uh that put that person into temptation. Thinking that association with idolatry is okay. At that point, you refrain from eating. We have been made free. And all food, Jesus has declared, or Jesus declares all food clean. But unless we're careful, we might inadvertently be associated with idolatry, with demonic activity. And for some of us, I think this is a live issue, isn't it? Um, once again, uh, when I was in Korea, um, the the, uh, the anniversary of the death of my grandparents, we all come together and we have this thing. We all bow down uh, in front of the picture. We then had to wonder, could we eat the food that has been presented there? I know that there's a. This is a live issue for many many of us but also the principles there can be applied to many many different um, areas of our lives it's okay i think to visit a buddhist monastery m- a monastery as a tourist but be careful that you're not associated with idolatry that is going on in the temple itself and similarly long hours can become uh, lead to uh, workaholism making idols of the, the the of work gambling once in, in a while is okay but then you don't want to be associated with gambling and all the bad things that's associated with it selling your entire house obeying parents is a good thing but you can't be involved in ancestor worship patriotism is okay but be wary that you do not make an idol out of the state Desire for material goods and comfort is okay, but materialism, the thing that makes material things an idol, the end of our lives, don't be associated with any of it. Be wary. It's okay to pursue success in your business, studies, teaching, even running a church. But, anything, um, but in anything that we're doing, we, can't, we, 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 we should not be associated in any way with worshipping success itself, money itself, fame or adoration from other people for themselves. You know your freedom. God has given us the world to enjoy. However, we must flee from idolatry. We must not be associated with any sort of idolatry. Everything is permissible, Paul writes, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be associated with idol- idolatry. Flee from it. It's a warning against carelessness. But you see, Paul is not saying, once again, that you shouldn't eat meat that's been sacrificed. That, that's something that you pick up from the marketplace. Because there is a, there is a risk of, of being associated with the idols at all. In fact, I think Paul is quite liberal. In some ways, that is to say, he goes outside of the tradition quite a bit. When he says, he, he, uh, eat whatever is put before you when you go to a dinner, dinner party. Unless someone makes, a food, uh, makes the food uh, an issue. Um, Paul is quite liberal there. Eat whatever without raising a, a question. Once again, the, these concern once, uh, only morally neutral things, uh, but still, I think he's quite liberal in many, many ways. At one point, evangelicals couldn't dance, watch movies, play cards, much less drink alcohol. I went to a Christian college that did not allow dancing for, I think, 143 years of its history, until 2003 when they started uh, allowing dan- dancing. And my sister went to the college, and she went to the dance for the first time in the college history. And we can understand why those rules came about. They came about because they wanted to flee from any association with sin, association with um, idolatry. We want to make sure that we are not associated with sin. But remember, Paul was quite liberal in that sense. Become all things to all men so you might be able to save some people, he says. Don't raise questions about what food uh, is brought before you, he says. And I wonder um, how liberal we are. I went to a birthday party a couple of months ago um, where there was a lot of drinking. And I felt so uncomfortable. And I wanted to leave as soon as possible. Good Christians don't belong in such places, I thought. I wondered actually what you would think of me if you found me there. And as I look back, I'm reminded, I'm reminded once again of how liberal Paul was, but not only Paul, but how liberal Jesus was in that sense. He consistently mingled with the tax collectors and sinners in a way that angered religious establishments. He accused them, he accused them, they accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. You see, sin sneaks up upon us. And wants to take over our lives, but actually legalism does too. It sneaks up upon us. In our attempt to flee from sin, we refrain from all sorts of things that are good, um, that are good uh, that that we're free to do, and that are even good. And self-righteousness sneaks up upon us that we might, and also we separate from ourselves. Uh, separate ourselves from people whom God loves. God wants to build up and save. Watch your legalism. Paul says, eat. Have that freedom. Know that freedom. In fact, fleeing from sin should not be the sole guide, he says, of us making godly decisions in our lives. It should be one, of course, we should know what is sinful and we should run away from sin. But also, we have to live in this world and the key to determining what to do in all these circumstances is not simply, what do I know is right? What do I know is right and wrong? But, he says, you got to add another one there, another question there. What will build people up? What might cause them to stumble? What might edify people? What might help them to know Jesus? No one, in verse 24 he says, no one should seek his own good, but the good of others. He's requiring us, all of us, to ask ourselves, am I building up the body of Christ? Am I helping people to know Jesus and helping people uh, to be edified in Christ? I think that is true, uh, that all people go through these phases in life, and I certainly went through phase when I was very legalistic. I didn't really have... A, I mean, I, I lived in the States where um, drinking was quite the norm among my friends, but I really had maybe a handful of sips of alcohol until I turned, turned 21. I just thought I shouldn't be associated with drinking in any sense. I think that was, you know, in some ways good, but... By the time I attended seminary, um, I had swung the other way quite a bit. I was helping to run a college ministry. And by that time, I wanted people to know the freedom that we have in Christ. I wanted people to know that drinking itself is not a bad thing. And so, I remember um, when... when I went out with some of the students, not all, but I, I, I made a point to maybe get a, uh, get, a, uh, get a glass of beer to let them know. And if they questioned me, then I could raise this issue and, 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 and tell them, don't you know it's actually okay to drink alcohol? Looking back, I don't think it was a terribly bad thing that I did. But one thing that I know is true. I was puffed up in my knowledge, and Paul says in Corinthians chapter eight, first Corinthians chapter eight, uh, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. This idea of am I building these kids up, didn't enter my mind. I was so concerned um, that they know the freedom that we have, Christ. I didn't ask the question: Is this actually helpful for people? I wasn't concerned that binge drinking was the culture in the, in in college. The moderate drinking didn't exist. I wasn't concerned that if people saw me drinking, that I might be associated with getting drunk. I didn't think about these things because I wasn't loving. Because I wasn't asking, is this helpful? Am I building up the body of Christ? Love, I have knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You know, Paul doesn't give simplistic answers. To our complicated lives. He's much too good of a theologian to give uh, simplistic answers like that. Making godly, godly decisions in this complicated and sinful fallen world is difficult. Whether you're a parent uh, measuring pros and cons of sending kids to a secular school, businessman dealing with questionable cultural practices like taking clients out for drinks, Or an office worker who has to make decisions to whether to go out with your colleagues or not. Flee from sin. Watch your legalism. But also ask that question. What will build up the church? What will allow me to tell the gospel to others? Um, And finally, as you can see, that... The lessons that we learn from this question, can I eat the food that has been sacrificed to idols, is bigger than can I eat the food sacrificed to idols. Paul says that these principles that we learned can be expanded to whatever you do in verse 31. so Take a look at verse 31. He says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul is concerned that the lessons that you learned from this will apply to whatever you do, to everything that you do. That you do all things for the glory of God. Ethics of deciding what to do is bigger than the issue of figuring out the correct answers. Figuring out what my rights are. He then told us that we need to concern ourselves for the bigger, uh, with the bigger body, building up the body of Christ. But actually, on a different level, it's not just about the other people and the church either. Ultimately, our actions, our ethics, concern the glory of Christ. All that we do can be done for the glory of Christ. Um, and um, uh, we should not seek um, our own good we should not we should. Uh, we, we lay down our rights we try to build other uh, people up because all of that concerned the glory of Christ and Jesus came to show us what seeking that glory means some seek glory through asserting their power and thoughts over other people, Christ sought glory by laying down his power, rights, and freedom, by seeking crown that's not made out of laurels or gold, but um, seeking crown of thorns, seeking not his own good, but the good of others. That was how Jesus was glorified. That was what moved all of us to be in the church and it's no wonder that Paul adds this final line as he concludes this section. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He's not saying follow me because I'm great. He is saying follow me as I follow Christ. Ultimately, what he's saying is follow Christ, the example of Christ. And Christ, the example of Christ, underlies everything that Paul had talked about in discussion of, of a food sacrifice to idols. Following Jesus also is the only way that we can avoid all the pitfalls. If we follow Jesus, we'll be saved from, pitfall, from, from the pitfall of being puffed up in our knowledge. Jesus showed that knowledge only puffs up, but love builds up. The substance of life is not knowing the right things like the Pharisees did or the scribes did, the teachers of the law. But he, said he he went right to the heart of the law in love. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Jesus shows us that. He saves us from the pitfall, pitfall of insisting on our rights, insisting on our freedom. Jesus had the right to punish us. Jesus had the right to rebel, uh, to, to send all those who rebel against him to eternal damnation. He had the right to force us to worship. But he gave up his rights. He came down as a human being and lived among us. He gave up, he gave up his rights and was flogged and spat on, stripped and nailed on the cross. He did not use that right. He did not insist on his freedom so that we might be built up. He laid down his rights for us so we might be saved and we might be built up in him. And there's also the pitfall of legalism. And only focusing on Jesus could save us from that. Jesus didn't abolish all laws, but he went straight to the heart of the law. Love. Jesus lived a life that made religious establishments uncomfortable, accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton, He never condoned sin, but he lived among sinners, and he loved sinners. More than anything else, he saves us from the pitfall of legalism by dying for us, by showing us that we cannot, we cannot be righteous on our own, that we cannot insist on our righteousness, but that we're only saved through the relationship, living relationship with him. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. It's a difficult thing to live in this fallen and complicated world. So as he concludes, he wants us to set our eyes on Christ. Let's follow him. Let's follow Christ and be a church that loves, that builds others up, that lays down our rights, that does not insist on our freedom, but the tough things that will allow us to be built up in him, that will allow the world to see who Jesus is.